CECL. It stands for the Current Expected Credit Loss Standard, but for many banks, it's far from standard operating procedure. And while 2019 may seem like a long ways away, preparation needs to begin now. So what are the next must-do steps for banks? Can any of this data be leveraged for competitive advantage? And what data is relevant versus data that would just gum up the works? To find out more, we'll be talking with Cecil expert Tom Carraher of Fiserv. Welcome to BAI Banking Strategies, where each week we'll focus on the key issues facing financial services leaders. We'll bring you objective opinions and actionable insights that'll help you power smart decisions. I'm your host, Lou Carlozo, the managing editor of BAI. Come on in. Thanks for tuning into our podcast. It's great to have you here with us. We are in the midst of season three, and you can check us out through Apple's podcast app, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and Google Play. And today on the program, we have Tom Carraher. Tom recently anchored for BAI an outstanding three-part series on Cecil. Tom is a product manager with Fiserv and has more than 25 years of direct asset liability and balance sheet management experience. Tom, great to have you here on the program today. Glad to be here, Lou. Cecil, the current expected credit loss standard, maybe a lot of people even all the way up to the C-suite aren't quite aware of what Cecil is and why it's important. Maybe you could fill us in on that. Um, yeah, it's a new ruling by FASB, which was finalized last June, but takes effect in 2019 for SEC filers. What it is intended to do is help banks measure and estimate what their credit losses will be, and hopefully a little bit more accurately and consistently than what has been done in the past, with the end goal of trying to minimize the effect of a credit crisis much like we had in 2008 and 2009. In the end, institutions will hopefully be better protected and have more reserves set aside so that that buffer will be there if they experience those credit losses in that manner. Banks may not necessarily feel an imperative. Well, 2019, we still have a bit of time, but the question that comes to mind is, do we? No, really you don't. And I equate it to doing your homework in high school or junior high or even in college. You might wait until the last few weeks and if not, maybe even the night before, before you start writing your paper. I know I've had times I had done that. And in that case, you're up all night trying to get everything together, trying to do your research. Well, much the same here. The dates are put out that far so that people can gather the history that is needed to support their assumptions around Cecil. And when we look at that, that history is needed to fulfill a reasonable and supportable requirement it establishes what the life of loan loss rate is, which would be the benchmark for each individual institution, and it'll be different for each institution. But gathering that history is going to take time. There are some institutions that already have 5, 10, 15 years of history, which is a really good place to be at, but most institutions don't. Wow. If you wait till next year or the year after, you have even less. And matter of fact, let me add, the auditors, the ones that are up to date on Cecil, when I've talked to them, their question that they're interested in is, are you collecting the data? Do you know what you're collecting? Do you know why you're collecting it? And how much do you have? 
there's really a question of excellence, right? Excellence that not only boils down to the quality of the data you have, but the people that are assembled on the team to make sure that the CECL standards are upheld to the highest. Yeah, you need quality data, but you also need a team to organize that data. Now, historically, the allowance for loan and lease losses, that estimate has come from a credit manager, and it's been their input and their insight. But with Cecil and FASB's pronouncement, there's more transparency that's needed. So in the end, the CFO has to sign off on a number. That number has to come from the historic loss rate plus some adjustments. And the auditor is going to come in and ask, how did you get to that number? And they're going to ask the CFO. They're going to ask accounting. They can't say, well, Bob in the corner came up with it. There has to be some process that you can identify that is transparent and verifiable. So a committee, a team is essential here. You know, your IT department, they may know how to get certain things, get certain data points or get them from other areas in a meaningful way and a reliable way. Your treasury might have a whole list of data points that you're not tracking for credit, but they're going to be relevant as far as trying to pool the data and separate out. So you need to ask those questions of other people. IT, treasury, who else belongs on the team? Well, you think about CFO, accounting, the controller, you want treasury, you want your ALM manager, you want the credit department. So the CRO, the chief risk officer, plus any credit managers, the ELCO, the asset liability committee, then you have to ask that data governance question. Are there going to be any questions about where I'm getting it and reliability and things like that? When we talk about having the right team, it's also about pulling the right data, like FICO scores, for example. A lot of that data can come from your ALM system because you're going to need origination dates, maturity dates, original balance, current balance. A lot of that exists already as part of your ALM system. Your credit department will have additional items. They'll have the charge-offs. So those are some very important data points to have and to be able to track. Are there any sort of dead ends or red herrings in terms of the data that needs to be collected for Cecil? That's actually an interesting question because there's going to be data that could be regional economic metrics versus national economic metrics. There could be some internal credit ratings that each institution has instead of using FICO scores. What they need to do after they have that is find out which data points that are internal to them communicate and relate to their credit losses. For instance, if I've got my loss rate and I'm tracking it over time, is there a direct correlation or is there no correlation at all? Once you've proven that it really doesn't track to what your loss rates are and it's not really having an impact, you can show the auditors, well, I'm not going to track to that and here's why and just show them a graph and they should be okay. You made an outstanding point in one of the pieces that you did for BAI Banking Strategies Online, and I'm going to read from that piece. Looking at this as purely an accounting issue may result in the implementation of point solutions that further fragment the data you need to effectively manage risk. At first, institutions are going to want to just fulfill the regulatory requirement and then move on. But what they should do is move up the optimization curve so they could use the data in an optimal way to be strategic. Look at the credit risk as part of your risk strategy. Work that into interest rate risk and liquidity risk on a forward-looking basis to see under different scenarios what would happen 
to my historic loss rate and adjustments? And then how can I plan in those cases? Institutions that do that will be much better positioned competitively in the market. Now, let's assume that you're part of an institution that your willingness is there to comply with CECL, but you don't have the data. What happens next? That's an interesting question. There's some different things here to think about. One is we talked about the deadline earlier and not putting off your homework. A lot of institutions are just starting to get that data now and just starting to ask the question. Some other institutions, individuals, haven't fully woken up to what is ahead of them yet. They're going to find that over the next year they've got a fairly daunting task. At least it seems daunting. If you're starting to collect that data now and it's two years before implementation or three years before implementation and you're only going to have three years of history, if we look at, say, the auto portfolio and you have to have five or six years of history at a minimum so you can show life alone, how do I backfill? Well, there's different things you can consider. One of them is you could use peer data for now. But you have to show a good faith effort to replace that peer data as you go forward. The auditors and the examiners will allow that peer data for now. At least that's what they're telling us right now, is that they're okay with that. But as I move forward, say, another year, then I have to bring on another year of my data, replacing a year of that peer data, so that I'm, over time, going to get that off of my books and I'm using purely my data. Another thing is that there are ways to tease out information from the call report. You wouldn't get the finer segregation of the pools to really track where your losses are coming from, at least not initially, but you'd be able to get some of that missing history by teasing that out of the call reports. Now, one other thing that needs to be brought up, let's talk about 30-year mortgages. And the question that I ask people is, do you have 30 years of history? And nobody really does. So how do you do life of loan? Well, there's a concept called materiality. And basically, I want to show, if I'm tracking the payments and the prepayments for a loan portfolio, say a 30-year fixed mortgage, after seven or eight years, I may have had enough of that balance from that origination paid down so that there's maybe 5 or 10% of the original balance left. And that the losses associated with that 5 or 10% are immaterial to the overall loss rate of the portfolio from that origination date. In that case, the first seven, eight years that make up the 90 or 95% in the example I have here is driving the loss rate. That's the material portion. So you'd only need that amount of history. You wouldn't need the full 30. You'd need up to the material breakpoint. Fantastic. Tom, thank you so much for going over the fine points of Cecil. I'm glad I don't have to do my homework on it because you've done yours, and we're really grateful to have you on the program today. I love talking about this. It's really an interesting topic. Enjoy the opportunity to talk about it. Tom Carraher is product manager with Fiserv. You can look for Tom on LinkedIn and be sure to read his three-part series on Cecil, which appears on BAI Banking Strategies Online. And here are three key takeaways from today's podcast. Number one, auditors will have lots of questions for you come Cecil time. They'll want to know not just whether you're gathering the data, but how much of it do you have? Do you know why you have it and what are you going to do with it? 
keep these questions in mind as you begin or carry through your current CECL preparations. Number two, use CECL data in an optimal way to be strategic. There's more than just a regulatory requirement at stake. Look at credit risk as part of your interest rate and liquidity risk strategy and look forward to asking yourself how to best plan by doing this. You'll gain a competitive advantage in the marketplace as a result. And number three, if you don't have enough data to meet the five-year CECL requirement, don't panic. You still have options, for example, using peer data for the time being, but you'll also need to show a good faith effort to replace that peer data as you move forward. And with 30-year mortgages, expect not to have enough data, but you can apply the concept of materiality, where years of a loan demonstrate the overall loss of a portfolio over a wider period of time. We heard quite a bit from Tom Carraher today about how CECL looks in theory if you want to lay out the ultimate roadmap. What does it look like in practice? Here, Kristen Hall, the ACL and Acquired Loan Analytics Manager at BB&T, talks about that bank's journey to meeting the challenges posed by CECL. We have developed a project plan that's joint between our risk and finance area. We are working together and we've developed a CECL implementation leadership team and we're identifying who the key stakeholders are. We're going to have a steering group involved in really pushing CECL along and various different working groups. Within the working groups, we'll have several different work streams that really are the key things to really get CECL going, like accounting and policy and reporting. We think that's going to be pretty significant. Model methodology is obviously a very key component of CECL. Data and infrastructure, we're doing gap analyses, looking at our data, looking at what we need for all the different requirements, looking at existing models, what can be leveraged, what needs to be built, what needs to be changed, all sorts of various activities to get us a true project plan and get us on to our roadmap to CECL implementation. Now let's face it, updating credit loss statistics, data, and getting the right team together is no easy task, but it's my hope that between listening to the observations of a CECL expert and getting this little inside glimpse of what one bank is doing, you can move ahead with more confidence and feeling a little better equipped. And if you're in the midst of making those preparations, so much the better. And as we mosey into the Cecil Sunset, we encourage you to check out our archive of podcasts at BAI.org. And as you check out that archive, connect with BAI on Twitter, LinkedIn, and Facebook to stay up to date on BAI's latest and greatest. And keep in mind, registration is now open for BAI Beacon. That takes place October 4th and 5th in Atlanta. To learn more about the fast-paced financial services conference, visit BAI.org. And thanks for tuning in. Be sure to tune in when our new podcast goes up next week. I'm Lou Carloso, the managing editor of BAI. We'll see you soon. So long.